The things that I love and hold dear to my heart are just borrowed. They're not mine at all. Jesus, only let me use them to brighten my life. So remind me, remind me Dear Lord, roll back the curtain of memories now and then. Show me where you brought me from and where I could have been. Remember, I'm human and humans forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Nothing good have I done to deserve God's own Son. I'm not worthy of the scars in his hand yet he chose the road to Calvary to die in my stead why he loved me I can't understand roll back the curtain of memories now and then show from and where I could have been. Remember I'm human and humans forget. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. So remind me, remind me, dear Lord. Let's go ahead and open our Bibles if we can. Uh, we're going to go to Matthew chapter 5 is where our text is. Uh, Matthew chapter 5 verses 1 through 12. And we're going to be going to continue talking about uh, the Beatitudes this week. The Beatitudes. And we're going to kind of go down these list of things. Um, the Beatitudes, as we talked about last week, comes from a Latin word, uh, beotus and beotus. And it means uh, happy. It means happy. And so they took that word and that's where we get Beatitude. Um, and so we're going to talk about it. I went this week, and I'm all pumped up. This morning I went on YouTube, and I watched all the clips from uh, the Duck Guys, and uh, happy, 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 and so I, I kind of prepped myself for the sermon that way, and so we're going to talk about being happy, finding real happiness, and today is the first beatitude, uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, the poor in spirit. I hope that we all qualify for that one. I hope that we all qualify for that one. And we'll talk about that and what it means. If we were to drop off the poor, the, the in spirit part, blessed are the poor, how many of us would say amen? I agree with that one. Okay. Well, this really has not so much to do, a little to do, but not, not as much to do with what's in your pocketbook or in your bank account. It has to do with more what's in your heart and what's on your soul. 
So uh, I got an email this week because we began the series last week, and, I, and the email was just great. It asked some questions, and these are the kind of questions that I hope that we'll cover during the next several weeks. Uh, the email said this, happy is a subject that's really been on my mind lately. Questions like, is it realistic to strive to always be happy? Sad things occur in our lives that we have no control over, and I believe they require mourning and sadness to overcome. How many agree with that? Amen. Uh, why does everyone strive so strongly to always be happy? Do they feel that uh, a lack of happiness comes off as failure? Uh, does happy mean you always have to have a smile on your face? Uh, just to, what exactly is happiness? And they ended up saying uh, so many questions. How many of you have wondered about those questions as you go down those Beatitudes? Happy, happy, happy. And you think, but I don't always have a smile on my face. I've got one of those faces that only a mother could love. I know that. But I've got one of those faces where occasionally people say, what's wrong with you? Well, what do you mean? And they'll say, well, are you upset about it? No, I'm not upset about anything. Why are you sad? I'm not sad. You know, I, smiles are just, you know, you've got to have something to smile about. You know, it's kind of creepy when someone smiles all the time, isn't it? I kind of teased Lucy Wednesday night. She came walking in, and she had a funny grin on her face. I don't know. And someone said, what are you happy about? She says, nothing. I go, she's up to something. There's something going on that we don't know about. But uh, that, that happiness, well, there was a Bible bookstore in Vallejo when we lived up there, and uh, I, I really enjoyed it, and they closed it, and they moved across town, and when they did that, they got all new staff, and I quit going to the Bible bookstore, because every time I'd go in there, there was this lady, and she always smiled, and it just gave me the creeps, you know? <laughs> her cash register tape would jam up, and she'd get a big old smile, and go, well, praise God, my tape jammed up, you know? And, <laughs> Someone drops something off the shelf and it would break. She'd go, oh, praise the Lord. And she'd smile real big. And I'm thinking, come on, you know, that you can't be happy over something breaking. That just doesn't make sense. And so we're going to kind of talk about what is real happiness and how do we find it. Uh, listen to some passages of scripture that deal with Christ. Because when we answer these questions about do I always have to be happy, uh, I think Christ is our example, isn't he? He's the model. And here's what Isaiah said. Isaiah chapter 53, verse 3 says, he was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hid their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. It doesn't sound like Jesus was the kind that always had a smile on his face. I believe there were times when he laughed. And in fact, in his teachings, you can find that he actually had a sense of humor. There were some jokes that he kind of told that we don't necessarily get in our English culture, but it was definitely in the Jewish culture in their day. They got it. And so, but he was despised, rejected, a man of sorrows. Mark chapter 3, verse 5 says this. It says, and he looked around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, and said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out, and his hand was restored. Again, the smile doesn't quite fit that verse, does it? Can you imagine someone angry at you and smiling the whole time? That would kind of scare you to death, wouldn't it? Do that with your kids next time you're going to discipline them. Yeah. Walk in the room with the belt swinging and a big old smile on your face and say, we got some things we got to talk about, you know? So he, he, he was angry and, uh, and grieved, it says. And, and, and the hardness of their heart had gotten a hold of him. And in John, he says this, in John 11 about Christ, he says, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, Come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? And they said to him, Lord, come and see. He's talking about Lazarus. Lord, come and see. And it says, Jesus wept. 
Man, if you've got to find a verse in the Bible that you want as a memory verse, that's the best one ever. Two words, Jesus wept, right? Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. And so, you know, the idea that we always have to have this big grin on our face, you know, and it's just not so. There are going to be times when we smile ear to ear and we ought to be some of the happiest people in the world. But there will also be times when we're troubled, when we're distressed, when we're burdened, uh, when we've been attacked. and, and, And that's okay, because the kind of happiness we're talking about in Matthew and the Beatitudes is different than this outward happiness. This happiness that he's talking about in the Beatitudes can be in our lives without us even realizing it. How many of you used to sing that song, if you're happy and you know it, what? <laughs> Clap your hands, you know? If you're happy and you know it, stomp your feet. If you're happy, and we'd sing that song. And the problem is, sometimes I think it's possibly happy and we don't even realize it. That's kind of what Christ is getting at in these Beatitudes, is outside circumstances might not seem like things are happy, but in the heart because it's been proclaimed upon us by God, there is happiness. There's this joy. Here's a a text from uh, the NIV application, life application commentary, and I like his description of the word happy. The word, remember last week we talked about is makarios. That's the Greek word for happy or for blessed in this passage. It said makarios is a state of existence in relationship to God in which a person is blessed from God's perspective even when he or she doesn't feel happy or isn't presently experiencing good fortune. That's the happiness he's talking about. It's happening from God's perspective. He's looking down, and he's saying, happy are you. Happier, and everything may be going all crazy around us, but God says, hold on. Happiness is in your life. You may not realize it, it may not seem like it, but because I have looked on you and you have this relationship with me, there's happiness there that you may not even realize now, but it's there. He goes on and he says, this does not mean a conferral of blessing or an exhortation to live a life worthy of blessing. Rather, he says this, it is an acknowledgement that the ones indicated are blessed. Negative feelings, absence of feelings, or adverse conditions cannot take away the blessedness of those who exist in relationship to God or with God. That's the happiness we're talking about. And so let's look at our Beatitudes this morning. Matthew chapter 5, it says, Seeing the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. And blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then he adds on this last phrase, this final phrase. He says, blessed are you. When others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account, rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so persecuted they the prophets who were before you. Let me just talk a little bit about how this 
this passage is kind of set up, the structure of it. There's eight Beatitudes you're going to find there. And then that ninth phrase at the end, blessed are you when you're reviled and persecuted. And, and so there's eight with one final one. And it's almost like Christ says, here's the people that are blessed in this world. And then he turns to those that he's speaking to that day. And he says, and by the way, you're blessed because of the trials and persecutions you're going on. You're included in this. And I think that's important because when we read God's word, what we need to get from that is that God has something for us. That when you sit down and and you read a psalm or a proverb or a passage of scripture and something really is exciting in there, you need to understand that that wasn't just for a set of people way back when. It's not just for a, a group of people at the church that you look at and say, boy, those are super spiritual people. This must be for them. That everything in God's word is profitable for all of us. That it it is something for me to hold on to. So these eight Beatitudes are made up and they're very similar, aren't they? As you read through them, you can tell this is kind of a a poetic form. And he's got two parts to this. There's this statement that he says, blessed are. And he repeats that over and over. Blessed is this one and blessed are this one and blessed are these people. And so that's the first statement. And it is just a statement of identity. He says, here's who the blessed ones are. That God looks down in this world and he says, hey, you might think some other people are really being blessed, but let me tell you who's really blessed. Have you ever looked around this world and and just saw people that you knew weren't living right? You knew that, man, there's things just not going on in their lives the way that they, and yet they just seem so happy to us. Marketers, uh, Boy, they go crazy with this, don't they? In television commercials and ads. And, and boy, when they want you to buy something, what do they do? They show people having a good time and really happy using their products. And you sit there watching your TV and say, man, I've been left out. I don't have that. And so you call up Visa and you have them extend your credit further and you go get that. And what you discover is even after I got it, I'm still not happy that it was all fake, that those people were only happy because they got paid to be in that commercial, and that made them happy. But there's this blessed are. And then the following statement, he uses the word for in every one of those. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? For they shall inherit the earth. And each of these uh, beatitudes, he's set up this way with two parts, the identity and then the reason for their happiness. Here's who's happy. Here's why they're happy. The first and eighth beatitude, the first one and the last one, are, are kind of like bookends to this whole setting. If you look at those two, that's a little different. He says, blessed are these. He says, because of something present. The one that we look at today is blessed are the poor in spirit. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. It's something that is right now. And then as he goes on through the next six of them, he says, blessed are these ones, for they shall receive something. And so the first and last say that the blessings of God are for right here and for right now. And then in the middle of these two bookends, he gives us six of them that say, but the blessings of God are also to be received later on in the future. It's almost like Christ says our happiness can be experienced here, but it's also out there. There's something for us to look forward to down the road, but there's something to enjoy right now in this life. Uh, How many of us, boy, we need to have a little bit of blessings in our life today in order to get by. I mean, you believe in heaven this morning? Man, heaven, heaven sounds like a wonderful place, doesn't it? No sickness, no sorrow, no suffering, all those things that we talk about. But that's down the road, hopefully, right? And if that's our only joy is, hey, yeah, this, is, this life is just terrible, but one day we'll go to heaven. 
that might not be enough. And so Christ comes along and says, hey, there's happiness here and now, and there's happiness down the road. That God wants us to enjoy the benefits of all of these things, both now and down the road. The second and eighth Beatitudes point to things coming. An easy outline as we go through this, let me give you three things that you can kind of break these up in. The first one is verses 3 to 6, and it is, he says, blessed or happier those who depend on God. In other words, you're poor in spirit, you have to depend on God, right? And, and, and each of those, there, there are several of them that he says, blessed are those, and basically he's saying who depend on God. In verses 7 through 9, he says, blessed are those who basically live for God. They show mercy to other people. They're kind and, and, and they do good deeds. And he says, so happy are the ones who not only depend on God, but also live for God. And then the final is, blessed are those who are persecuted. That there's also this blessing. And so that would be a good outline for that. Who are the poor in spirit? Because that's who we want to talk about today. Happy are the poor in spirit. Who are these? Dallas Willard, who wrote the book, The Divine Conspiracy, said this. He said, blessed are the spiritual zeros. You ever felt like that? Like, I'm a nobody, I'm a nothing. He said, blessed are the spiritual zeros, the spiritually bankrupt, deprived and deficient, the spiritual beggars, those without a wisp of religion when the kingdom of heaven comes upon them. And I love that description because that's what Christ is saying to these, these people as they've gathered around. He says, you may not feel like a spiritual giant, you may not have been raised in one of these special homes that have always been in church your whole life. And you may not have got all the Sunday school awards. And you may not have everything going for you like you think some of the spiritual giants has. He says, but there's so much happiness awaiting you once you realize how much you need God. And God's kingdom comes upon you. That's a good thing. We can come from anywhere to God and not seem like we should be here. But God says, blessed are you. Blessed are you. Another person that many of you heard of was Charles Spurgeon, the great Baptist preacher. He said this, poor in spirit. The words sound as if they describe the owners of nothing. And yet they describe the inheritors of all things. So it sounds like they've got nothing. But in reality, they've got everything. And a fellow named Jim Forrest who wrote a book called The Ladder of the Beatitudes said this. He says, what does poverty of spirit mean? It is my awareness that I cannot save myself. That I am basically defenseless. That neither money nor power will spare me from suffering and death. And that no matter what I achieve and acquire in this life, it will be far less than I wanted. Poverty of spirit is my awareness that I need God's help and mercy more than I need anything else. And what a description that is of those who are blessed. They come to this place where they finally realize that I need God more than anything. I need God more than I need a, a better job. I need God more than I need this uh, bigger home. I need God more than I need friends. I need God more than I need my help. I need God more than anything. That even if I acquired everything I wanted in this world, that I'd still feel empty, is what he's saying. And how many realize that there are many folks like that out there? 
Man, they jump from one thing to the next, looking for something to satisfy them. And Christ says, only when we come to this place where we are poor in spirit or where we realize that we are nothing or that we are spiritually bankrupt and and that we depend completely on Him, it's then that we really find happiness. Because it's then that we come to Christ. Let me give you a few things to consider today when we think about this spiritual uh, poorness and God's blessings in our life. Number one is Jesus' message, uh, mission. Why did Jesus come? And what we need to know is that Christ came for the exact kind of people that he's describing here in the Beatitudes. He came for those who were poor spiritually. Listen to the words of, of the scripture. It says, and he came to Nazareth where he had been brought up. And as it was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and he stood up to read. And he's talking about Jesus here going into the synagogue. He stands up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it was written. And here's the words that Jesus read that day. The spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll again and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. Jesus opened that scroll and he read an Old Testament passage. And then he sits down and they're looking at him like, Next, what's going on? And he says, That prophecy has just been fulfilled. In other words, he says, that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to reach out to the poor. I'm here to find those who have been oppressed. I'm here to find those who are captives. That's who I've come to serve. And don't we get it so backwards today? Sometimes we think that Christ only comes for good people, right? We think, and you even hear people say, well, hey, I'm going to come to church one day, but I've got to get some stuff straightened out in my life first. I can't come to church because I'm still drinking or I can't come to church because, you know, I still cuss everyone. So I can't come to church because I'm not living a certain way. And the reality is you're the very person that God came looking for. You may not know the Ten Commandments. You may not know the Lord's Prayer. You might not know the 23rd Psalm. You might be what Dallas Willard described as a spiritual zero. You don't know anything about this God stuff. And the fact that you know that He says, blessed are you. Because he says, I'm about to come all over you with my kingdom. That's when we find blessedness. And when we come in thinking we're really something, when we walk to the door saying, I'm about to do God a big old favor and go and join his church. He says, that's what real poverty is. In fact, he warned him in the scripture that if that's what you've got, enjoy it because that's all you've got is your prideful feelings. Who did Jesus come to reach? He came to reach the exact type of people that we're talking about here. Listen to Luke chapter 18. In verse 9 through 14, Jesus tells this story. He says, He also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves, and they were righteous, that they were righteous, and they treated others with contempt. So he found this group that we're talking about, the ones that just thought they had it all together. And here's the story, he says. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, uh, standing by himself, prayed like this. 
God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. I mean, isn't that passage exactly what he's talking about in the Beatitudes? I mean, the guy comes and he says, can you imagine that prayer in our service? Man, what if at the end of the service there was folks come to the altar and one stood up and with a loud voice, because that's the way they did it, he said, I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like him. I'm not a liar. I'm not a cheat. I'm not an extortioner. And in fact, I give tithes of everything I have. I do all these good things. That's not poor in spirit. And there's no happiness in that. In fact, that's the ultimate of emptiness. But the other man, it says he just bowed his head. He didn't look at anybody else. He didn't even have the brazenness to look to God. He, he bowed his head in humility. And he simply said, God, be merciful to me. I'm a sinner. And Christ said, who do you think went home happy that day? Who went home justified? It was the spiritual zero, wasn't it? It wasn't the guy who had it all going. It, it was the, the nobody. It was the guy that said, God, I can't seem to do anything right. God, have mercy on me. That's when happiness comes into our lives. There's a joy in knowing that God loves us. And that joy fills us completely. In fact, we may need to do a spiritual audit, if you will. I read an article this week, and if you are on version and you follow this outlines on you version. I put a link where you can go to that article and read it. But the article opened up about a, a rich man, a businessman coming to his pastor and saying, you know, I've got accountants and I've got lawyers and I've got these people that work for me and they make sure everything is the way it should be in my business. He says, these accountants do audits to make sure my money is all where it should be. And he says, I need you to help me with a spiritual audit. In other words, to make sure I'm where I need to be spiritually. And in that article, if you take the time to look at it, he, he gives 12 questions that you could ask yourself to find out where you really are in your relationship with God. But some of us may need to do a spiritual audit on our lives. We maybe need to take another look at our values. What's most important to us? What, what really matters in this life? And the truth is, some of us might be guilty of, of what, how do they say, cooking the books spiritually. That maybe we're throwing up those false numbers. That smile that we put on our face as we get out of the car in the church parking lot and, and we painfully wear that smile for the next hour to an hour and a half. And, and as soon as we get in the car, it's vanished and gone. And all week long, we're miserable. But we cook the book spiritually. And when we're around other Christians, we save face and we pretend like we're really happy. And maybe we're not. 
Are we guilty of that? We may, need to, we may think that we're rich and that we have everything we need. But the question is this, what does Jesus see when he looks into our lives? He's the one that really matters. We can fool a lot of people, but you and I can never fool God, can we? In fact, some of you may be here today, and you may be in some really low places in your life, and no one else here may even know that. You may really be struggling with some things. There may be some sin in your life that, that no one in this room is privy to, but God knows, doesn't he? And you know. And it's hard to be happy when things aren't right inside. Maybe you're, you're going through depression and discouragement, and oh, how good we are at, at putting on a face. Because we think for some reason or another that, that it's so unspiritual for me to be depressed or be discouraged or be down. And so we come and we put on this smiley face and but it doesn't do us any good. And the reality, he says, you're happiest when you just simply put it out to God that, God, I'm so empty right now. God, I don't have anything right now that brings me joy. God, I need you in my life. It's then that we find real happiness. Real happiness. Listen to Revelation 3, verses 14 through 17. Jesus speaks to the angel of the church at Laodicea, and he says, write, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. I would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither cold or neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And I want you to really pay attention to what Christ says to this church next. He says, for you say, I am rich. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Boy, that is a stinging indictment on this church, isn't it? I mean, they come before God and they say, I'm so rich and I'm so full and I'm so blessed by God. And to have Christ turn and say, you just think you are. But let me tell you what you really are. And the words he uses, you think you're rich, but you're wretched. You think you're full, full, full but he says, you're pitiable. You're poor, and you're blind, and you're naked. And that might sound like a terrible thing until you realize that those are the exact people that God comes and pronounces a blessing on. Those that finally acknowledge, I am wretched. I am poor. I am blind. I am pitiable. I am, I, I'm not perfect. It's the problem when we hide that and say we're what we're not. He goes on, he says, I counsel thee to buy of me gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be rich, and white raiment, that thou mayest be clothed, and that the shame of thy nakedness uh, does not appear, and anoint thy eyes with eye salve, that thou mayest see. See what he said? He said, quit putting up this front that you've got it all together. Be honest about it. You need what I have, Christ says. And if you'll acknowledge that, he says, 
I've got some things for you. And I love what he offers this church. He says, I've got gold. He says, it's been tried in the fire. And that idea of being tried in the fire, it is that purifying process that they use with gold where they'll put it into the fire and melt it down and the impurities are are washed away and and it becomes purer and purer through the trial of fire and what christ is saying is is when you finally come to the place where you realize you're empty he says i'm going to give you something that is pure something that is authentic something that is real that the next time, once you've got this relationship with me squared away and you've put down all these ideas that you've got to have it all together and you just acknowledge like the man at the altar that day, have mercy on me, a sinner. He says, I'm going to put a real smile in your heart. One that's been tried with fire. You're going to realize what true wealth is really all about. It's not about the the numbers or the amount of zeros in your checkbook balance. Real joy comes from Christ. He says, I'll give you white raiment. In other words, you'll be completely covered in my righteousness. No more being exposed or or naked. He says, I'm going to give you something that will cover you. And that's the righteousness of Christ. And then he talks about this eye medicine. He says, basically, he's saying, I'm going to open your eyes so that you can begin to see clearly. And we need that every once in a while, don't we? The brother sang the song, Remind Me, Dear Lord. And you could pretty much put that right here. Open my eyes, God. And just let me see what I'm really all about. Let me see what I really have. Sometimes we're so blinded by what we don't have that we don't really see what we do have. There was a book written about hymns that have helped people during tough times. And the author, W.T. Stead, wrote about the SS London, a ship that had gone down in the Bay of Biscay in 1866. He says in the book that the last thing which the last man who left the ship heard as the boat pushed off from the doomed vessel were the voices of the passengers singing Rock of Ages. We've sung that many times over the years, haven't we? Rock of Ages, cleft for me, let me hide myself in thee. Let the water and the blood from thy wounded side which flowed be of sin the double cure, save from wrath and make me pure. It was the same hymn that the Prince Albert of England who married Queen Victoria turned to. It was one of his favorite hymns. And on his deathbed, it is said that he repeated a phrase from Rock of Ages over and over. He wanted people to come, and and that was the song he'd ask people to sing for him there on his deathbed. The phrase that he loved so dearly was in the second part of Rock of Ages. He said, nothing in my hand I bring, simply to thy cross I cling. Naked come to thee, naked Come to thee for dress. Helpless, look to thee for grace. Foul, I to the mountain fly. Wash me, Savior, or I die. And I just picture this prince, this royalty, this man who probably had far more than you and I could even dream of having in our lives. And here he lies on his deathbed and simply repeating that phrase, that simple phrase, nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to thy cross I cling. I think he 
got a hold of this idea that all the riches and all the wealth that he had really meant nothing at this moment in his life. Isn't it strange that material things are so important to us until we face death? And then they don't mean a thing, do they? They just don't mean a thing. He said, simply to that cross I cling. What did he discover? He discovered the beatitude, blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall inherit the kingdom of God. Let's stand. Dear God, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you, Lord, that you have revealed to us the secret to real happiness. There, God, there are so many people looking for ways to, to find happiness and joy in this life. And they pursue one thing after another only to be disappointed. Lord, help us to put aside this foolish notion that earthly riches can satisfy us. Lord, I pray that we would each come to the place where we acknowledge that we are indeed poor in spirit, that we are in desperate need of you, that without you, we have nothing. God, help us to find the joy that comes from knowing you. Let us release these things that we cling to so tightly in this life and simply cling to your cross. I pray that if there are any here today that do not know you as their Savior, Lord, today they'd realize that they're the exact person you want to bless today. Lord, I pray for those of us that maybe have given our hearts to you, but Lord, we've taken our eyes off you. We've forgotten how truly blessed we are in you. And we've pursued earthly things. Help us, Lord, to put those things aside. And to be content in our relationship with you. In Jesus' name.